We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven. I am your host. And joining me, as always, is my guy, Tyler. Tyler, what's up, man? How are you doing today? Doing pretty well. I'm very, very close to a week off. But then a week after that is my EdTPA credential stuff. So, you know, it's a nice break, calm before the storm, then the storm hits, and then we'll be okay. Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, I work in school. I work as a counselor. You're getting your uh, master's in teaching credential. Uh, my wife has her teacher's credentials. So, uh, you know, I know what that ed TPA is like, and I, uh, do not envy you at all for, you know, having to balance all these things around the ed TPA is no joke. Yeah. My reward is, uh, I get a job and then I have to pay off debt. (laughs) You know, it'll be fun. The the hoops you have to jump through to work in education, uh, you know, make no sense to me, but you know, it is what it is. That's the chosen profession. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So uh, going to have a fun conversation today. Um, nothing groundbreaking to talk about. Obviously, you know, we'll revisit some of the, the uh, Super Bowl takeaways. Um, you know, ob- the, the whole thing, obviously, kind of theming the offseason, if you will, is going to be how do the Chargers kind of make up this ground to catch the Kansas City Chiefs coming off of this Super Bowl win. Their second in five years, you know, their third trip, obviously. Um, you know, Travis Kelsey at the parade today, calling it a dynasty and, and all this stuff. So, uh, you know, I think the the whole offseason right is going to be framed around like how do the Chargers take that next step, uh, and we'll have some conversations about that. And then we're also going to take some stock of where the Chargers' previous draft classes are. So we're going to have a conversation 
about each of the rookies from this past class and the sophomores, if you will, from 2021. Um, I'm definitely a guy that I like to take stock of what do you have before you can talk about what do you what are you able to get in the future in terms of the draft class. So we'll have that conversation. Um, and then obviously the Chargers did hire a quarterbacks coach, uh, Mr. Doug Messmeyer. So that's where we're gonna that's where we're gonna start today before we get there. Uh, obviously, if you are watching this, please take a moment and like this video, subscribe to the channel. If you are listening to this, please make sure and leave us a rating or review. All these things really help us grow the channel. And, uh, you know, we've got some big goals for this year. So we would appreciate all of the all of the positive feedback possible. That being said, uh, we'll hit on the Chargers quarterbacks coach first. Doug Nussmeyer obviously uh, coached with Kellen Moore in Dallas. I think this was kind of, you know, the no brainer connection from the jump. Um, he coached tight ends also in Dallas before when uh, Kellen Moore was the quarterback's coach. He's been an offensive coordinator uh, at several different college uh, teams throughout his career and uh, did play in the NFL as well as the CFL, you know, back in the day. So, uh, Tyler, your initial thoughts here as the, as the uh, Chargers kind of revamped the, the brain trust around Justin Herbert officially with Kellen Moore and Doug Nussmeyer. It's kind of like the Kellen Moore signing if you will because I, I thought the Chargers were going to go any other direction and then suddenly I, I was bracing for a hire that I wasn't super thrilled about yeah and then and they end up with Kellen Moore which is great so with the Chargers and the QB coach who was it's a very very important hire because that is potentially your coordinator next year yeah I was like okay what are they gonna do it makes sense I figured I figured they would go with Gerard Johnson or Nussmeyer or maybe like internally Tom Arth which I wouldn't have loved but I almost felt like they were preparing for that at some point sure. last year. Um, so when the news broke that they were interviewing Fred Walker, who was Daniel Jones' co uh, coach in college, and then you know Derek Carr worked with Derek Carr recently, you know who just got released by the Raiders. It's not the most inspiring thing. Granted, again, it is just a quarterbacks coach, but you know a guy with one year in the league, you know as a, an assistant with a quarterback who wasn't like amazing last year by any means. You know, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence, but for them to turn around and go get Nussmeyer, it feels really great. And I believe it was Staley or Telesco, whoever, when they got hired, was talking about alignment. And I just think that yeah. if you're trying to do so much in year one with this new offense, another freaking offense, like you're perfectly aligned from, I think, Staley's division. But then, of course, definitely from the offensive coordinator to the quarterback's coach. And if Kellen Moore does leave, you understand each other perfectly. You know exactly how to have that succession plan in place. Um, this is a really, really good hire for the Chargers. Again, I don't know if it'll work out, but the process of getting a very good offensive coordinator on the market who has a quarterback's coach he has a relationship with, that process is fantastic. So to me, this has been a slam dunk, two moves for them so far. Yeah, you know, I'm excited about this one. I, I think, you know, the, you know, you mentioning alignment is perfect because I think that was really something that was lacking, you know, the the previous two years with Joe Lombardi and Shane Day. And not that they get all of the blame, right? But, um, you know, I think that's part of the reason why Joe Lombardi would always, you know, fall back on what he was comfortable with because he, he you know, that was, you know, he wasn't super comfortable with like the Shanahan stuff that Brandon Staley wanted to be running. And that's, you know, you have Shane Day and you have Kevin Coger and you have all these guys who have been in, in, that, in that Shanahan before McVay system. And so I think it just kind of put a put a roof essentially on what Joe Lombardi was comfortable running. Um, and I think that showed with just the the lack of adaptability from week to week and within each game. So, you know, getting these two back together, I think just does, I think it's, you know, it checks that box, right? Like I, I think mm -hmm. you have somebody who's experienced, you have somebody who has that relationship with 
with Kellen Moore. And I think it's really important also that, you know, both of these guys played in the NFL. I think that was something that was lacking around Justin Herbert with Joe Lombardi and Shane Day. Not to say that that's like, you know, it makes you a better coach because you played in the NFL, but you know, these two guys have been there and done that and they're able to, you know, really kind of use that experience to their advantage. And, you know, I reached out to a couple people, uh, podcasters and, and a reporter in Dallas and they said that Doug actually did a really good job with the tight ends when he was the tight ends coach. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, just somebody that is really able to, you know, break things down from a technique standpoint, from a film standpoint, you know, really helping players with their preparation because he's been there and done that, you know, in the NFL himself. So um, I think if you are concerned about him being the offensive coordinator down the road, I would understand that. Mm-hmm. His coordinating experience in college wasn't exactly super inspiring. If you go back and look at the Florida ranks or the Michigan ranks and things like that, yeah, um, it didn't end well. And I think that's why he kind of bounced around a little bit. But it is possible to be a really good position coach and not be a very good coordinator. And I think Pep Hamilton is another case of that being true. Yeah. So um, I think Doug is is a really you know quality position coach. And I think him and Kellen Moore, just being able to be on the same page for Justin and, and be able to build this offense the way that they want to run. And I think it is huge for the next you know year and, and potentially beyond. We'll see what happens with Kellen Moore, obviously. Yeah, no, very excited for this one for sure. So I, I will also say, I think this pretty much guarantees that Cooper Rush is probably going to be the backup this year. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think it has to be at that point. I can't think of who was the Cowboys backup last year. Was it also Cooper Rush? Like the previous uh, it was year? Andy Dalton the year before that. Okay. We'll see. But yeah, Cooper Rush feels feels like one unless someone wants to go make him a starter or something. Yeah, which would be a surprise. So um, all in all, I think this is this is a good hiring and, and you know that continuity is huge. So mm-hmm. um, all right, we'll move on here. We're gonna talk about the Super Bowl. <laughs> Obviously, the Chiefs, you know, coming out victorious over the Eagles. Um <laughs> that game win was crazy. I hate the way that it ended, but it was a fantastic game. Um, obviously, you know, the chiefs being able to, to get that, uh, victory, you know, really kind of solidifies where they're at. I mean, this was supposed to be their rebuilding year. This is supposed to be their transition yeah. year. And I think Travis Kelsey saying that like nobody picked them to make the playoffs is, is kind of ridiculous, but you know, <laughs> players love making up those narratives. So I think people generally, you know, viewed them as a playoff team, but you know, this yeah. was not supposed to be the way that their season ended this year after trading Tyreek Hill. And, you know, they have like seven rookies playing key roles on defense. Like this was supposed to be you know, a relatively step back for them and ultimately ends up with them winning the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, this conversation, we'll see how, where this exactly goes, but inspired by your tweet about it. And then also kind of some conversations in, in our discord chat, um, you know, everyone's going to be chasing the chiefs now. And obviously the ASC is pretty loaded. If you're Tom Telesco and Brandon Staley, what's kind of like your point of emphasis this offseason as you do try and, and catch the chiefs and be able to make up that ground. Uh, offense to be completely honest you know of course if i'm mock drafting and then before if i'm trying to draft to build the best team you know the chargers need an edge rusher the chargers need another pass rushing defensive tackle i'm not saying that the eagles defense was fantastic i'm not saying that they had like the greatest you know shutdown defense of all time but they had one heck of a defensive front and the chiefs just kind of walked all over them and, and you needed 40 <laughs> points to go win that game and typically against the chiefs as we've seen like you need 30 plus i mean the chargers scored 27 um the, the last time they met they lost at this point and especially with the new coordinator with herbert and all this like your point of emphasis is now offense some guys are best player available 
you know, if someone fantastic drops to 21 and they're a defender, I get it. But overall, especially looking at just all seven picks, not just the first round pick, you have to focus on offense because you got to score 35 and go into every game against the Chiefs thinking you need at least, you know, five touchdowns. So my emphasis is really in general offense. Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how the Chargers approach that particular debate because, like in the draft, I think from a class perspective, like I want an edge rusher in the first round because I think that's where the value is. I think this is a stacked pass yep. rushing class, and you you know you can have, you know, there's a variety of of edge rushers that will be on the board at 21 mm-hmm. who I think are ultimately better prospects than the receivers, than the tight ends, than the running backs, although. Maybe not B. John Robinson, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think this pass rushing class is stacked. I mean, there could certainly be a, a, a group, you know, that there's a run before the Chargers pick that and that could change some things. But from a class perspective right now, I think the value would be a, an edge rusher for for the Chargers at 21. But like you're saying, you know, there's this, this there's this debate and I'm, I'm sure it's probably a debate that was happening when, you know, AFC East teams were trying to catch the Patriots. It's like, mm-hmm. well, do we load up on defense? Do we load up on offense? Like, how do we go about doing this? And, you know, obviously the Chargers in, in 2020, after the Chiefs had won the 2019 Super Bowl, they went Herbert and then they went Kenneth Murray and they figured that Kenneth Murray was kind of that missing piece on defense, right. so to speak, to, to make Gus Bradley's defense be working at, you know, at a higher level to catch the Chiefs. Obviously, that didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think just in general, if they're looking at the draft overall, Easier said than done, but I do hope they look for more of these higher floor players. Like I might go to the mock drafts that we do and not take everyone's highest prospect, like because they have such a high ceiling for the Chargers. If it's defensive, it's offense. Like it might just be the guy who can contribute the most, like not guaranteed, but I feel like that floor is very high. You can chase the ceiling maybe. And I guess with this offensive coordinator and with Herbert, like I suppose chasing the ceiling is okay and i feel like guys on defense have developed or free agents have come in had career years but you look at what the chiefs did part of the reason i was so enamored with their draft and we we all unanimously agreed it was the best draft in the afc west by a good margin i think yeah of course they did have more picks early on so that kind of helps but still overall like the one thing that really benefited them so much which i think made it a great draft and and sort of why we did this last offseason and this offseason was the composite score rankings, which looks at the guys who are the best, you know, play by play by play. Maybe they didn't get all the reps in the world, but they are high floor guys because in the reps that they had, they were the best play to play players. And you look at someone like McDuffie was fifth, Karloftis was seventh. Mm-hmm. I think Brian Cook was first. I think Kennard was like second. Um, Sky Moore was third. You know, and again, I'm not saying these guys all went and had career seasons um, and, you know, are making the Pro Bowl and all pro, but like, you take these guys or like a Trey Smith the previous year or a Creed Humphrey, like these guys, the numbers that they put up on a pro play basis are so good. I, I feel like you, the Chargers need to lean towards that rather than someone like, no offense, but like JT Woods, who was a little bit further down um, in the percentile of safeties. Isaiah Spiller, I think was like 12th yeah. out of the 25 running backs we had. Um, again, that's third and fourth round picks. So you're not getting you know, the best guys all the time, um, but aiming for guys like that would be fantastic. Yeah. You know, that's, Tom Telesco's draft strategy is is strange because <laughs> in the first round it's like they definitely value like you know high production at high you know high quality programs. I mean you're talking about you know uh, a Big Ten offensive lineman for Staley's first draft and Rashawn Slater and you know an ACC offensive lineman and then 
obviously you're talking about Justin Herbert and all these guys who have produced at high level college football programs. Mm -hmm. And they also do that in the later rounds too. Like, I mean, Staley drafted Jamari Sawyer and, and Mark Webb, because these are these guys who, who played a lot of football for these good programs. But then in the second and third round, it's like, well, (laughs) we're going to take these projects from Baylor and from Tennessee and, and no shade to those programs, but Sure. Um, you know, I, I think this draft in particular, you know, Telesco needs to take the safer players because at this point, like the Chargers have their star players and I don't think they need yeah. to hit like home runs, but they just need these guys to come in and fortify some depth and be able to be quality football players. Mm-hmm. And I think you aim for those lower floor player or uh, lower ceiling, higher floor players, because, you know, you know what you're going to get out of them. Maybe they're not going to turn into a true like Pro Bowl player. But if they're just a quality veteran that can stick around for five, six years in, in Los Angeles, then, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's a win for sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and they don't even keep these guys after they draft them. So, like, you're, you're developing projects to end up letting them go right. unless you're a first-round pick, which is very frustrating. Um, so someone like Trey Pipkins was not a great pick, really. But then he developed, but then he might be gone. And so you've gotten, what, 12 high-quality games out of your pick in the fourth year of his contract, like the Chargers can't do that. Tom Telesco's, well, God, we assume is going to be fired before the next project that he picks, you know, this year, maybe even last year with JT Woods can officially get onto the field and be the starter that they want. So not that you only take the high floor guys, but like I'm going to try to look for guys that are just a bit more high floor. You just know enough and these guys can step in. And if the Chargers lose someone, it's not, Oh gosh, like we're not going, we're going from edge rusher or a safety or whatever to, I guess we'll take the undrafted free agent Raheem Lane because the right. third round pick isn't ready yet. No, like you want to have someone in between. Not that undrafted free agents can't stand out, but I'm looking for guys that can just be that fill in or obviously start for the Chargers. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good conversation. Um, you know, get, circling back to like the offense versus defense uh, conversation. Marcus Mosher, who uh, works for PFF and um, locked on, he's, he's the host of Locked On Cowboys. Uh, he tweeted this out and said the points per game rank among the last seven Super Bowl winners: 2022 Chiefs number one, 2021 Rams number seven, 2020 Buccaneers number three, 2019 Chiefs number four, 2018 Patriots number four, 2017 Eagles number three, 2016 Patriots number two. So every single team except for the Rams had a top five offense in points per game. Um, and the Rams obviously had a, a ton of talent on that team. On the opposite side, in terms of defensive points per game allowed, 2022 Chiefs 8, 16th, 2021 Rams 15th, 2020 Bucks 8th, 2019 Chiefs 7th, 2018 Patriots 7th, 2017 Eagles 4th, 2016 Patriots 9th. So um, the league is definitely trending more towards offense. And I think it's really starting to, you know, pan out in, in Super Bowls. I think like, Obviously, you have to have a good defense. Like, nobody's saying the defense doesn't matter anymore. But, you know, the whole adage of, like, defense wins championships seems to have kind of gone out the window these days. Yeah. I mean, not that you should follow the Chiefs model in general for how they do defense, because I I don't think it's always been the best. But they just go get guys who can go get after the football, and that's kind of it. (laughs) Um, Or take away the football. I don't even know if they're – it seems like Spags did a really good job um, in the second half of the season. But, like, overall, I feel like their defense has never really been, like, elite – but they always know like their identity is, is tied perfectly to what they want to do on offense. Yeah. And I think that identity is crucial. And I think if you're looking at the chiefs as kind of a model, like they really, they're able to get these guys 
and use them in very particular ways. And like you see all of the jet sweep stuff, all the jet motion with Kadarius Tony, you know, that change of direction, like that's his thing. You know, Marquez Valdez Scantling, like his thing is is the go balls, the post routes, things like that. All of these other players on their team really are able to kind of, you know, accentuate what they have in Travis Kelsey and, and to a certain extent, Juju Smith-Schuster. And I think that's something that the Chargers have have kind of been lacking a little bit too. You know, they have their two guys, Keenan and Mike, but then, you know, they're trying to draft Josh Palmer to be like, well, he might be the replacement instead of trying to like, you know, build a more diverse receiving group, which hopefully, you know, happens this year. You know, we'll see what happens in terms of like, you know, first round pick, second round pick or whatever. But, you know, instead of just trying to find like, you know, a replacement for these guys, go and find somebody that can, you know, take pressure off of them and also probably the, the rest of your offense as a whole. What, Jason Moore wasn't doing it for you? <laughs> All respect to no. Jason Moore. All respect to Jason Moore is in the NFL, uh, and we are not. But, uh, you know, it's like you don't, you don't have to find like these one-for-one one backups. Like you're able – you can do different mm-hmm. kind of skill players. And, um, you know, I, I like you if you're trying to treat a receiving core like a basketball team, like you should have five different – types of receivers as opposed mm-hmm. to like here's mike williams here's backup mike williams here's keenan here's backup keenan here's deandre carter here's backup deandre carter it's like <laughs> no, you, can, right. you can build this in a different way and you know people are kind of talking about like what does this re- receiver room need and obviously they never really replaced Jalen guyton like they need that kind of player yeah. you know but they do need somebody who can work the field horizontally as well and i think that's another way that teams like the Chiefs are able to put stress on defenses because they have somebody like Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And they also have Kadarius Tony, Sky Moore, these guys who can do hor- all the horizontal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously Travis Kelsey helps a lot of things. But, you know, they 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 emphasize like vertical and then horizontal. It's not so much like intermediate precision route running. It's a, it is a lot of speed, is a lot of yak. And not to say that's the only way to build things, but it is certainly something that lacks in with the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, and then you can just call more things. You can do more things. It's kind of a no-dub. Like, you know, if for whatever reason, this particular defense does this and they're weak against that, that's what you focus on that day. Like you said, instead of looking for backup DeAndre Carter. <laughs> and I do think that's... Things. Right. I do think that's going to be, you know, something that improves under Kellen Moore. And I think that's yeah. one of the reasons why Chargers fans should be really excited. Like, I know that there's there's been a lot of negativity, and I understand that. But the offense should be a lot better just based off of health and off of the coaching staff that's that's coming back this time around so Mm -hmm. i do think we'll we'll naturally see the offense improve if they just do nothing else right now obviously i hope they go out and be proactive and add more talent but if they just do nothing on offense i do think it'll be better next year than it was this past season yes definitely i I don't think it's I mean, again, barring health, of course, but if like justin herbert said himself it took like six seven weeks for that rib to even feel kind of normal So if you're not having six, seven weeks of fractured rib cartilage for quarterback, you're naturally going to be better. And you saw post that timeline, like right from like after the Falcons game on, that was the best football Justin Herbert played um, after like week two or so. So, mm-hmm. yeah, obviously the offense is going to get better almost by default. Yeah. What do you make of the idea of, you know, I tweeted this out earlier. It's just kind of uh, mm-hmm. curious to get your thoughts. Trading out of the first round completely and doing kind of what the Patriots did to us back in 2020 uh, to get that Kenneth Murray trade. Uh, the cheat, the, we ended up training obviously the second and third round picks that year for the pages to move 
uh, back from the first rounds. The Patriots that year had two seconds, two third round picks because of us. What would you think about an idea like that for the for? I, I don't think I mean Telesco's never traded back in his, his career, right? but <laughs> yeah. Um, what would you make? You know, this class in particular, I think this is kind of one where you definitely want to trade back. But I think if you trade out of the first round completely, I think you could see some things open up in terms of depth because then you're talking about you know you get four picks in that like fifty like forty to one hundred mm-hmm. window as opposed to just the two, which I think is, is pretty valuable in a class like this. Yeah, I'm all about it. I don't know. Again, I have 15 guys on my big board, so I could not tell you what one through 100 looks like. But, you know, if you trade back, there are some guys that at 21, maybe it's like a bit of a reach, but it's not a huge deal to me. But if you can trade back a little bit and find kind of a sweet spot, like last year, I felt like if you traded back, you could find a wide receiver, edge rusher sweet spot, even in the second round. Um, So doing that, um, I don't know who would be in the second round, probably like a Keon White or something, if that's the Chargers wanted to go with, um, it's just because of his age. And yeah, I haven't watched McDonald yet, but um, if, if this edge rusher group is as good as it is and as deep as it is, which it, it kind of seems like it is, um, I haven't watched um, Anderson yet, so I, apparently he's good or something. But um, <laughs> he's really good. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so I haven't, you know, watched all these guys yet, but it sounds like there's a really good spot there. So if you want edge rusher or if you think the receiver class, you know, if guys or even maybe even the tight ends, you know, there's a lot of guys you like between, you know, 21 and 40. Yeah, trade back. Go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, LD Bruin points out, too, you know, he would love this idea of trading out of the first round completely if it wasn't Tom Telesco. I also <laughs> think that's why you do trade back, though, because yeah. you want to have you want him to have more chances as opposed to fewer. Because, like, I mean, in 2020 or in 2021, when he did have two second round picks, you got Josh Palmer. Like, you got one, right? Sweet. Um, <laughs> that's the bar <laughs> Two right would be great too that's two guys um i mean i you know even in the second round like what is he 50 50 on second round picks at this point uh, you know yeah his second round pick his second round pick hit rate is pretty good yeah they stay in the league i mean perriman's still in the league henry's still in the league Moses is still in the league asante samuel jr is a starter who did they pick last year oh nobody Khalil Mack. so <laughs> Hey, Jeremiah Tauchu's still in the league, apparently. Yeah. Um, so, you know, reunion this year. Thing around. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm totally fine with that. Again, I don't know the draft board up and down, but I'm all for it. Nasir Adderley was a second round pick. Oh, okay. We won't talk about that one, but everybody else is doing great. <laughs> oh, Manti Teo. You know, forget it. Yeah, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> all right. I said it was 50 50. Hey, man, the second round is better than the third round for sure. I mean, third round picks True. we're talking about. Keenan, so he hit a home run in his first third round pick, which is bonkers. And then it was Chris Watt. Was he the one who passed away? I think that yeah. no, that was um, that was Turk, Max Turk. Turk. Yeah. Uh, 2015 third round pick was Craig Mager, then Max Turk, Dan Feeney, who he was fine. He was he's a backup, mm-hmm. I guess. Justin Jones was a good player, just couldn't ever stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Trey Pipkins, no third round pick in 2020. Then Josh Palmer and McKitty, and then JT Woods. So his second best third round pick might honestly be Trey Pipkins. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see about uh, Palmer, but yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious to me. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Better on day three than he is in round three. That doesn't make any sense to me. All right. So uh, any other takeaways from uh, the Chiefs and uh, catching them in terms of 
you know, how that relates to the Chargers. Just that I have kind of accepted the fact that the Chiefs maybe have a, well, they do have a Hall of Fame head coach and they may have a quarterback who goes down as the greatest quarterback that we've ever seen. Um, and maybe the most successful quarterback. I don't know about seven Super Bowls, but I mean, what he's been doing is ridiculous. And so I accept the fact that that's in our division and the Chargers will take a very long time to ever pass them for consistent success, which I know people didn't love for me to say on social media. You know, it's very doom and gloom. What a bad attitude. But like, you watch what they just did. Like, this was supposed to be the Chargers all in year. This is supposed to be the Chiefs rebuilding year. And instead, the Chargers blow a 27 0 lead, and the Chiefs are hosting Lombardi. And they just knocked their two draft classes out of the park. So, yeah, I'm hoping the Chargers can, you know, catch them one year, a couple of years. But for consistent success, man, I just feel like watching that game. You just got to respect the fact that the Chiefs with Mahomes and with Reed, they're not a dynasty yet, but they could be. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were. Yeah. Uh, the Chiefs also have like 13 picks this year. So do they really? Yeah. Cause they got a shit ton of comp picks for all the, all the people leaving, you know, previously. Um, you know, they, they have a decent amount of cap space, but like Orlando Brown is a free agent, stuff like mm-hmm. that. So Juju is a free agent. So. You know, they, they could easily free up. I, I think I saw one of the Chiefs writers say that they could free up to like have like $60 million in cap space. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they've they've got some work to do from the roster perspective this year. And then, you know, <laughs> when you get like 12 key players from your previous two draft classes, it makes Nasty. a lot of things, a lot of things easier. So mm-hmm. um, in terms of the Chiefs, like I think obviously we wish that this were not the case, but I think unquestionably this is the best five-year start to a career that we've ever seen. I mean, you're talking about a quarterback and coach who's hosted five straight AFC championship games. You know, they've been in the Super Bowl three times. They've won two, two MVPs for Patrick Mahomes, two Super Bowl Mm -hmm. MVPs for Patrick Mahomes. So I don't know. Like I I caught some heat the other day when I said that Mahomes was like the best quarterback I've ever watched play in person. Um, I think that generally is true. Like I think in terms of like playing the position, you know, I, I think that he is he's the best one that I've seen. And, you know, obviously I respect what Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and all these guys have done. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of just like handling the position, uh, I think Mahomes is the best one. At the very least, he's the best comeback quarterback I've ever seen. Like no lead is ever safe with, safe with Patrick Mahomes. You know, he's able to just flip a switch in the third quarter, fourth quarter and, uh, you know, be able to just come back and win these games it's insane to me like we like all of us who have watched the chiefs and chargers play over the last you know four or five years we all knew what was happening in that second half like everybody was like Mm -hmm. you know everybody online was like oh the eagles got this you know this is in the bag and it's like have you watched the chiefs we're not too sure about that yeah uh you know so it's just it sucks like i hate having that in the division um you know it, it but at the end of the day it's on the chargers to figure out how to do it like you know they've got to be able to build around justin herbert maximize his ability because i do believe that they have a guy who can go toe-to-toe with Mahomes at any minute at any mm-hmm. point it's just you got to get things right around him and and hopefully you know Kellen Moore and, and Doug Nussmeyer kind of a step in the right direction there yeah the the Kellen Moore Nussmeyer hires have really helped like just buoy up a little bit of my my optimism for the next year 100%. next few years but definitely this year if it were some first year guy who was an assistant, you know, the year before, 
I just couldn't talk myself into believing in the the Chargers a whole lot this year outside of just the talent and the guys that they have. But with someone like Kellen Moore, I do feel a lot more positive. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, we're going to transition here. We're going to take, again, take some stock of where the Chargers' past two draft classes are at. Um, this is essentially going to you know, uh, leapfrog us into our, our coverage of this upcoming draft. Mm-hmm. We'll have our uh, tight end ranking show this weekend, so excited to dive in there. Um, but definitely want to kind of see where the Chargers' young players are at and uh, have a conversation about the 2021 class as well as the 2022 class and, and figure out you know, where these players are at where they need to go and, and have, you know, an evaluation conversation about each of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes, we have a slideshow shout out to our friends at the chargers wire, uh, who we've been you know collaborating with. They make a, a great graphic here. So uh, in terms of the 2021 class, obviously we'll run through the list really quickly. Rashawn Slater in the first round, Asante Samuel jr. Josh Palmer, Trey McKitty, who we talked about earlier, Chris Rumpf in the fourth round, Brendan Hymas in the fifth round, uh, and then Nick Neiman, Larry Roundtree in the sixth round, and then they rounded it out with Mark Webb. So um, I do think that there that the return of Rashawn Slater has kind of gone under the radar a little bit. Um, I still see a lot of you know mock drafts where the pe- the people have the Chargers taking an offensive tackle, and it's like part of that is because of Trey. They don't know about Trey Pipkins, obviously, but. You know, Rashawn Slater coming back next year is a huge story that nobody's really talking about. I think the fact that he was able to come back from his bicep injury and at least have a chance to play at the end really says a lot about where he's at. So he theoretically should have a whole offseason, normal offseason, being fully healthy and, uh, you know, getting back to his usual, you know, all pro level left tackle self in 2023. Yeah, the great part is there's no, to our knowledge, you know, no lower body injuries. It was just just the bicep. Um, I, I kind of love that he did heal as fast as he did. Just some guys that had that freakish return to action, you know, timeline. 
Rashawn Slater doing that and be able to gut it out like he was like says a lot about him and what he does and like he could have just he could have taken the season off and really same with Joey Bosa like the season could have been over for him but he tried to make his way back and he was the Chargers just couldn't get it up long enough to stick it to the divisional round but yeah Rashawn Slater coming back the Chargers don't have a lot of guys that are you know pretty consensusly top three top four at their position and Rashawn Slater when he comes back is one of them you know and I have no questions or worries about his return to form because I know who he trains with we've seen him before um, you just feel really good about him. This is a fantastic pick, of course. Yeah, and um, you know, <laughs> I remember just being like so excited. I, I did. I I looked at the whole offseason and I was like, "There's no way this guy's falling to the Chargers." Like, absolutely not. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, we were talking about Christian Darrisaw and all that stuff, and Christian Darrisaw is a good player, but you know, Rashawn Slater coming back is is another thing that I think will you know by nature of his return, the offense will improve just because of him. So, yeah. um, very excited to see what that looks like. Um, obviously the chargers will have a decision after next season in terms of that contract extension. So lots of people talking about Justin Herbert's contract extension and rightfully so, but you know, they are going to have to start preparing for Rashawn's extension after next season, which, uh, again, would be a no brainer in my opinion at that point. Yep. No brainer. So Asante Samuel Jr. into the next one here. Um, very curious to see what happens with Asante Samuel Jr. this year. And we'll talk a little bit about Jossier Taylor with the next year's class. But, you know, the way that the season ended for Asante was very up and down. Like, I think everybody loves Asante, what he brings to the table as as a cover corner. Um, incredible ball skills, incredible recognition in terms of route coverages and matching them. Um, but the Chargers actively told us that they don't think he can play the run. And, you know, next year, presumably, they're not going to have Bryce Callahan coming back. Mm-hmm. So Asante Samuel Jr., I think, was a very good pick. I think he's a high quality second cornerback in the league, but if he kind of takes on that role that he did at the end of the season where he's, he's the third corner, essentially, I am curious to see how that pans out and how chargers social media charges the fans, you know, take that if Asante is playing, you know, a, a secondary role as opposed to a starter role. This is, I don't even know how to begin to talk about this corner room because of the injury, because of him being, you know, not benched, but like mini bench during games on early downs mm-hmm. um, with Michael Davis being far better than we ever expected him to be. It's so difficult to talk about the outside corner position. And then you talk about slot corner, but then you have, you know, one guy who's clearly a great slot corner, but he probably has to go. And you'll talk about that in a bit. Um, you have jaw Taylor, someone who can come in and take that role. You know, so do you want to let him do that? But then where do you put Asante Samuel Jr.? How long um, do we have Michael Davis and Asante Samuel Jr. as the outside starters? When JC comes back, what are you doing? If Asante Samuel Jr. is, you know, quote-unquote benched because he's the corner three because Michael Davis is their best corner, and they've said that, they've shown us that, then JC is the guy that they paid. Are you trading Asante Samuel Jr.? Do you just leave him on the bench? Is it like you just you just happen to have a fantastic corner sitting on the bench? I don't know. Um, his development has been really, really solid. I think the stuff against the run, I haven't like severely been displeased by his work against the run. So I maybe I have to watch more. Um, I never saw anything that was like, wow, you really got to pull this starting corner off the field because he can't play the run. I just feel like you're setting yourself up to be attacked um, when you do switch out corners. But the development's been really, really good. And I'm very curious to see what they do because he was the automatic starter in camp yeah and then he 
took a back seat because they let Michael Davis be the starter for like the second half or the last third of camp. And Davis looked really, really good in the preseason. And then Davis was benched and Asante Simon Jr. got to start. And then I, I don't, I really don't know. It's such a complicated thing because look what he did against the Jaguars. Like you want that on the field. How do you take that off the field? Even if there's some issues against the run, of course, you, you leave him on the field because you find some ways to get the other 10 guys to help him. If that's yeah. the case, because he's that good of a corner, a coverage corner. I don't know. This one's very, very fascinating to me. I'm happy with his development. This has been a great pick, but we'll see. Cause I really, he might not even start next year. Yeah. I, I think in terms of his development, right? Like I think if you really go back and isolate the games where he didn't really play super well down the stretch, it was the games where it was like, he was not a starter. Like he was the one who was kind of being pulled off the field, whether it was Denver or, you know, previous games like that. But you watch a game where the Chargers are playing exclusively nickel, you know, against the Colts, against the Jaguars. He mm -hmm. is being so much more aggressive against the pass and against the run. And I think Asante can become a good run defender. It's just that he, yeah. you know, if he misses, you know, they're kind of screwed. Like, I don't think he's a last line of defense kind of player, but I think he can, mm -hmm. you know, stick his nose in there and play the run really well. But, I mean, you look at his coverage grade, his forcing his forcing completions, obviously had the five interceptions on, on in total three in the last game but you know from a coverage standpoint like he was playing like a top 20 top 15 corner in the league and i think you you take that right it's just the the role here is is the interesting thing that we're talking about yeah definitely uh so another one uh josh palmer you and i were were you know in on josh palmer taking a big step and he took a he took a a, a good step forward mm -hmm. um i think you look at his his score on espn i think he ended up being like uh, I think it was 38th, I said, on Twitter in terms of, like, his open score and catch rate. So, you know, he he did develop. Like, he did take a step forward. It's just that, you know, they were asking him to be wide receiver one for half of the season, and that's not really yeah uh, an ideal situation, especially when you don't really have anything behind him. So um, what do you make about where Josh Palmer's at? Where do you think he can go this year, you know, with another year of development, another year of, you know, working with Justin, another year of ideally being with Keenan and, and, you know, we'll see what kind of happens in with the rest of the room. I really do think that just know, like, we know what we want. We know what the fans would want. They want the speed guy in round one or round two or something. But I, I really feel like we're just headed for a world where the same wide receiver threes are the same wide receiver threes. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's more about then building out wide receiver four and five um, with some of those complementary speed threats. As far as Josh Palmer's development, I mean, listen, there's only eight guys the last two classes who had more yards than him this past season. Granted, a lot of that's opportunity, and I don't think his per-play stats are super great, but the open score is pretty solid, and, you know, Joe Lombardi's offense wasn't exactly one that was you know, getting him wild open, but if you look at where he played against the Chiefs, where he was that wide receiver, like, 1B-ish, because Michael David, or sorry, Mike Williams went out, Keenan, you weren't sure how he was going to hold up. I mean, he had a fantastic game, and it was a slant. It was an over. It was a post. It was a corner. Like, he had work and working against the Falcons. You saw it sort of against the 49ers. You saw it against the Chiefs. Like, he can do a lot for the offense. So I think with an even better coordinator and a, th a third year, he'll be really, really good. I, I, I really feel like they're just going to make him wide receiver three again. Uh, maybe it's a 3A, B, 3A, 3B sort of thing. Uh, but going into last year, he was their wide receiver three by default, mm -hmm. no competition, and there was no competition for even like a three B option. It was literally just the three guys, and they didn't even consider putting 
someone like DeAndre Carter onto the field until Keenan got hurt. So if you believe in guys upstairs having more you know power and say and sway and how things go, I really think Josh Palmer's wide receiver three and the Chargers go find themselves a speed guy in like around four or something. That's not going to make people very happy. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, tell me Telesco wouldn't do that. Yeah, I mean, from the receiver standpoint, like it was clear immediately that it was it wasn't a wide receiver three battle. It was a wide receiver four battle. And then obviously DeAndre Carter won that battle over Jalen Guyton. So um, I agree. I think Josh Palmer is is going to be the wide receiver three again. Um, again, like I, I just I think also in terms of draft strategy, like people keep asking me like, oh, like they should take Jordan Addison. They should take, you know, Smith, Nick Jigba. Oh, my gosh, I got a Jigba. There we go. Um, they should take, you know, uh, Parker Washington from Penn state. It's like, they're not going to draft another slot receiver. They already have Keenan who plays in the slot. They already have Josh Palmer who plays in the slot. Like they're not going to be doing that kind of route. Like the, like you really need to be focusing in on somebody who can play as a backside Z and threaten the field vertically. Like you need to replace Jalen Guyton. You don't need another slot receiver to, you know, crowd that room. So mm-hmm. in terms of where Josh Palmer stacks up in the class, if, from 2021 in the 2022 season, the only receivers from the class who had more yards than him were Amon Ross, St. Brown, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddell. Four guys who I think are arguably, you know, each top 10 receivers at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at where he stands in terms of like yards per route run. Um, he's a little bit lower. He's, yeah. Um, let me filter this without tight ends. Um, in terms of the receivers, he was eighth in the class, you know, only behind Terrace Marshall, Nico Collins, Jamar Chase, Smith, St. Brown, and Jalen Waddle. So his per play stats aren't necessarily great, but, you know, taking him in the third round and like having him be the fifth or sixth best receiver in the class, I think, I think you take that like from a third round pick. And, Definitely. you know, I think you can be a little frustrated by the situation that happened this season where he didn't necessarily take advantage and, you know, establish himself as somebody saying like, Hey, I can be a, a number one or a number two, but mm-hmm. in terms of him being a number three, I think he's a really solid number three option in this league. And again, like from a value standpoint, you take a receiver in the third round, who's giving you, you know, wide receiver five, six, seven. I think you take that absolutely, you know, going forward. Yeah. I mean, you could look at some other guys. I mean, not that it's all the same because of different situations, but like Sky Moore had 250 yards you know, Kadarius Tony had yeah. 171. Um, was Diami Brown a third round pick before Palmer? At 143 yards. Again, very different situations. You know, I mean, Jameson Williams at 41 yards. Different, different situation, of course. But you know, I'll, I'll take it. Ninth out of the last two classes this year in receiving yards isn't too bad. Although he did get the 98 targets. Yeah, I mean, we all loved Elijah Moore, and I think he's has a very different situation in New York, but <laughs> yeah. you know, he had 446 yards this year. Rondo mm-hmm. Moore was drafted in the second round. And again, he got injured, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, but 414 yards from him. So, you know, Josh Palmer's not necessarily a great player, but as a solid uh, number three, I think you, you can take that again. The Chargers need more players like Josh Palmer. Like they need more solid role players than people are kind of letting on. So, um, <laughs> Trey McKinney, man, and Chris Rumpf, I think you can kind of loop in the same conversation, and Brandon Hymas for for that matter. Yeah. Um, you know, three guys who I think at least we were semi-excited about two of them and just have not really panned out at all. I mean, Brendan Hymas is 
you know, kind of trying to find a way of, of maybe he's a center, maybe he's a guard. They don't really know. Yeah. Um, you know, it was clear right away that Jamari Sawyer was, was going to surpass him in training camp and obviously ended up starting at left tackle. Um, Chris Rumpf, like I, I, it's kind of a butterfly thing, but you know, Kyle Van Noy ended up being super important pass rusher, but that's out of necessity because Chris Ruff hasn't taken that step forward yet. Um, and you know, pass rushers typically develop, you know, slower than some other positions. And then Trey McKitty, unfortunately took a, a pretty big step back this past season. Um, but these three guys, man, they need one of them to like become a serviceable backup at least. Mm-hmm. And that has really not been the case. Yeah. This range, again, the chargers have found some pretty solid, you know, back end late round guys. And we'll talk about it definitely in the, in the last class, but yeah, this middle group really just did not do them any favors this year. Brendan Heitman, but like, I didn't expect that to be an issue as much either. Not that I said Chris Rumpf was edge two. you know, we wanted the chargers to get an edge rusher and, you know, we wanted the chargers to take, you know, another offensive lineman, but I didn't really expect McKitty to take that step backwards. You know, I think he found some better moments later on, but he was like, maybe it's a scheme thing and you know that's certainly part of the marriage of the run in the past and improving the blocking schemes and all that maybe it really just did come down to scheme and bad coaching or something uh, but mckinney took a pretty big step back and again we're yeah we're, we're looking at drafting another tight end in round one as a possibility because he didn't take any step forward um you know third round pick your compensatory pick not that i expected him to be all world but i just right. when I mean, he was a guy that was you know, blocking the shit out of Cam Hayward on the goal line against Pittsburgh. Like you saw yeah. some fantastic stuff from him when he started to play. And then this year just kind of all went backwards. Hymas is really confusing because, you know, by all accounts, a good player. I think Brennan Thorne compared him to like Joe Tooney at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he had like a second round grade on him. I didn't watch him, but the numbers looked good. He was a healthy player, a longtime starter in the preseason last year. He looked good. I don't remember how much action he got during games last season, if at all. But and then again, kind of like Trey McKitty, like you, you feel really good about this. Like, great, that's great offensive line depth. And then he gets beat up by Jamari Seller, which is fine. And the preseason, he looked, you know, solid. But watching him in camp and then watching him in games, I mean, he filled in for Zion, I believe, for like eight reps or seven reps against the Raiders and allowed like four pressures. Yeah, um, It was a real Storm Norton kind of performance there. Mm-hmm. Um, so not great. So I think, and then Chris Rumpf, I feel like they're, I mean, this is, this is it. Like, this is the year you have to make the jump. Granted, of course you do have another one, but, uh, you know, leading the league in missed tackle rate and being the worst run stop rate in the league, um, while you're just not like that dynamic of a pass rusher yet, it, it's rough. So the chargers, I, I, they can't trust him to be edge three this year. I don't think they should. If someone gets hurt and he has to be edge three, edge two, fine. And he might do really, really well. But that's that's a results thing. The process, like last year, I need him to find another guy. If it's Kyle Vadnoy coming back, if it's a second round, you know, another third round edge player or something, go for it. Um, so overall, those three guys, you know, really like, la- or, yeah, this 2022 class, that the middle of the class is just lacking right now. And they really needed to have a bit more out of these guys. Yeah, and I think like it's certainly possible that we see a year three leap from these guys, but you know Trey McKitty, I don't really think he fits what Kellen Moore wants from a tight end perspective because he's he's a non-threat as a receiver, like which is weird because that's what I felt best about him 
uh, as a prospect was his ability to come in and, and make an impact as a, as a pass catcher. But, you know, his, his ability as a blocker has to improve. Um, and I think he was playing at a, at a decent level down the stretch, but um, you know, they need one of these guys to become, to come in and have a great off season. And, and we've seen it happen in other ways. The chargers sh- should certainly not bank on that happening like they did this past year. Um, you know, they're going to have to fortify the death, but we'll see what happens there. Um, don't really want to spend a whole lot of time on Larry Roundtree and Mark Webb. Those are both kind of practice players <laughs> at this point. The interesting ones, I'm going to bring in Eamon Ogbongwamiga in here as well. Yeah. Is Nick Neiman, you know, the two guys who were, you know, Ryan Ficken guys, uh, big special team players. Uh, Nick Neiman, I think, led the league in special teams tackles or was leading the AFC or something like that as a rookie. Hmm. Um, now the Chargers are kind of in this transition where they might not have Drew Tranquil. Kenneth Murray might get the Jerry, Jerry Tillery treatment. What do you make of Nick Neiman and Eamon Ogbamamiga this year? Do you think they could be viable starters heading into 2023? Oh, boy. If they're going to pick one guy, it's Eamon. Um, and I, I, I really don't know. Uh, we haven't seen them do much. Like, Not that I wanted guys to get hurt. The linebackers were really freaking healthy last year. And mm-hmm. so we didn't. We barely saw Troy Reader, yeah. let alone Nick Neiman and Eamon Ogbamamiga. So... Do I think either of them could be starters? In theory, they could start. That doesn't mean they have starting quality kind of play. Um, I think they're just special teamers. I think that they might play some significant snaps this year. And I'd I'd be happy to see them do that. You know, Nick Neiman hasn't shown that he's a bad linebacker in any spots that he's been in. Um, So I think you get a Kenneth Murray, Troy Reader kind of starting duo with Nick Neiman, Amen, Ogbong, Bumiga backing him up. Yeah, I think in terms of replacing Tranquil, I think that would definitely be Eamon if they don't do anything else. Um, Eamon's more of a Mike linebacker, and Nick Eamon's definitely more of a, a weak side linebacker like Kenneth Murray is. So mm-hmm. um, Eamon would definitely be the starter. And we heard last year, last offseason, that they really liked him. And then they ended up <laughs> going out and signing Troy Reader and Calvin Oy, and he didn't really get any reps. So mm-hmm. uh, going to be interesting to see what when that one goes. Um, but yeah, at, at the very least, they have Nick Neiman as a valuable special teams player, and I think in a six round pick, you know, we'd like to see more, but you know, at least he's that, at least there's something there, yeah. All right, before we move on to the 2022 class, I had a subject, had a, had, a, had a couple super chats that I wanted to address. Um, one was up higher, I know there's the one recently about Eckler. Oh, Solo Man, appreciate Solo Man always tuning in. Uh, he says, hope we can find a gem at edge in the fifth or sixth round. Like the Lions got James Houston. He was very slipped on through this draft process. He was. I didn't watch him. I think he was like a Jackson State edge rusher, if I'm not mistaken. But, I mean, the guy ended up getting like eight sacks or something like that in the last yeah. six games of the season. So, But this is this is exactly why, you know, like leading up to the Super Bowl, we talked about you never know when this dart throw is going to hit at these premium positions. So I think you should – I think – that's something that should be addressed, right? Like you take a pass rusher, a receiver in every single class, and then you never know what can uh, what can come through. Maybe you get a James Houston every single every other year or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think if they take a receiver or edge rusher rounds one or two, go ahead and do the same thing in six or seven or whatever. There's no reason to go get a fullback this year. So <laughs> hopefully that can hopefully we don't do that this year. And if you have extra seventh round picks, don't trade them for nothing. <laughs> Uh, and then Christian Hernandez says that they, he thinks they should trade Eckler for early for a second round pick and then draft Bijan and a wide receiver. So 
theoretically, you know, trading Austin Eckler, he is he is kind of a prime trade candidate if you want to have one. Um, it would free up the free up a good amount of cap space for the Chargers. Um, but I, I like this whole idea of trading good players to go draft people. I think is not where the Chargers are at. And, you know, pe- people are having this conversation about Eckler, about Keenan, about Joey, about Khalil, mm-hmm. you know, Sebastian Joseph Day. I've seen people talk about trading him. It's like we all want the Chargers to catch the Chiefs. Like that's what we're talking about today. Right. And then people want to trade these good players. And I think Bijan's a fantastic, fantastic uh, prospect. Mm-hmm. But what if he had too much wear and tear at Texas? What if he gets injured? What if he does all these things and then you trade Austin Eckler for nothing? And you're rolling with Joshua Kelly and Isaiah Spiller for the final year of Justin Herbert's contract window. So mm-hmm. there's just all these layers to it. Like, sure, theoretically, you know, Austin Eckler is a, a decent trade candidate, but he's still a really good football player. Like, I, I don't think you get better by trading Austin Eckler. No, you don't. And they didn't find enough out of Kelly. or didn't find enough about Spiller to say, okay, we're ready for the succession. You know, it's time to move on, or I guess in 2024. Um, can't say a whole lot more than that. But uh, if Bijan makes it to 21, it's because he, like, hit someone in college. Or, <laughs> like, respectfully, I don't think he's going to make it to 21. So if he made it to 21, uh, something happened. So, again, I know Najee Harris made it to 24. But it's not like this is a big blue chip kind of draft class overall. And Bijan is, I mean, I think he was what, sixth and, and Dane Brugler's big board or something. So yeah. these guys aren't lasting to 21 unless he has some severe issue. Yeah, Bijan's going to, he's a consistently like top 10 player in big board rankings. It's just the positional value thing that people want to talk about. But, you know, once you get past a certain point, like the top eight, like I think you should consider taking Bijan if you're, you know, if you're ninth, tenth, eleventh, or twelfth or whatever. I, I think Bijan is absolutely worth, you know, a top fifteen selection at this point. Yeah. All right, we'll get to the next uh, slide here. Uh, we'll pick it up a little bit. I was not expecting a conversation that long, but um, obviously the Chargers getting Zion Johnson this past year uh, for whatever reason, still somebody that does does gets way too much hate online. Um, you know, for me, like I, I got a lot of flack the other day. Cause I said, Zion is a better player right now than Asante Samuel jr. And people are like, what? That shit's crazy. And I'm like, Ooh, that's fun. I, 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 <laughs> I got to think about conversation, but I think Zion, like he was the best run blocker on a team that featured an all pro level center. And I think he was the focal point of their passing schemes up front. So I think Zion's going to be a great guard in this league. And I'm really excited to see what happens this year presumably with more health around him, presumably, you know, a second year leap for him. And I think he's going to be a really fantastic guard in this year. And people, people tend to forget that guard is a really difficult, you know, transition for a lot of guys to make. I mean, you go from, you know, Zion had a matchup advantage every single week at Boston college every week. Mm-hmm. And in the NFL, he's going up against Jeffrey Simmons one week and Chris Jones the next week and Grady Jarrett the next week after that. So, you know, for him to play as well as he did, I think is an underrated storyline. And I think that Zion's going to be a really good player going forward. Yeah, it, it was so unfortunate that there was a stretch where there was just always the one bad player or something. Because yeah. watching Zion, like you watch 70 plays of him, holy cow. Like I, it's the best guard play I've seen overall for a, a Chargers player. 
not that it's always saying a lot, but like <laughs> I haven't seen really great guard play from the Chargers in quite some yeah. time, and not just that, but advanced guard play. Like Matt Filer was probably better, like solid, you know, overall last season than maybe Zion was this year. But Zion was asked to do fewer so, mistakes for so, sure, so 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 much for this team, and he he had to learn. Again, flipping from left guard to right guard, which is already tough enough to, you know, mm-hmm. I can't wipe my ass with my left hand, let alone block Chris Jones. <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, he nice. was doing, yeah, thank you. He was, now I have to go try it later. Uh, <laughs> he, I'll send a video. Uh, let, let, let us know how that goes, our, man. Our first YouTube short. Um, okay. Uh, God. Uh, I, I believe in Zon. He does great work. I love watching him play. And, and he was in a system where the coordinator decided, let's just keep dropping back, straight drop back with a hurt quarterback against Buckner and Jones and Jones again and the Jones in Denver and all these guys. Like He was playing, you know, he was swinging with a bat with all the donuts on it. Now he gets to take the donuts off and just swing. I think he's going to be a fantastic guard. I think he's like a a Pro Bowl, all-pro caliber kind of player if he takes that next leap and has just stability around him, better Mm -hmm. coordinator, you know, maybe better running game, guys that are healthy on either side of him. Should take a really nice leap next year. Yeah, you know, with the added emphasis on the run game, I think that's really going to benefit Zion. Uh, you know, watching the way that the Cowboys would pull their guards was made me really excited Ooh, for Zion to see okay. what he was able to do. Because it makes me happy with the Chargers, it was like one or two times a game where they would do like a cool counter concept or a trap concept. But you know, that's something that I think Killamore has in his bag is the ability to have a lot of misdirection in the run game and be able mm-hmm. to get somebody like Zion and Rashawn Slater out on the move, which I think he's going to have a lot of fun with. Um, All right. You mentioned the middle of the classes, JT Woods, Isaiah Spiller, big question marks for the chargers going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, the chargers don't really have a lot of flexibility to go out and get a safety upgrade. Mm-hmm. You know, John Johnson, uh, who used to play first daily with the Rams is probably going to get cut by the Browns. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the Chargers are going to be able to have the cap space to go out and sign a quality veteran safety. Maybe they can kind of you know get a vet minimum kind of signing. Mm-hmm. But this is a very important season. Like I, I hesitate to call it a make or break off season for JT Woods, mm-hmm. but it kind of feels like that because if he's not able to get on the starting field this year, or at least play as a safety three, like play you know 20, 30 snaps a game. Mm-hmm. then I think we're going to be in for a, a, a tough conversation for JT after the season. Yeah, the thing with JT Woods, if you told me that they were going to redshirt him, they had Nasir Adderley, you know, in theory, they, I, I thought they would have felt better about Mark Webb. Um, you know, if you told me Alohi Gilman yep. was playing way better and they redshirted him, I'd say, you know, I get it. And you're preparing for Nasir Adderley's departure. All good. The real huge red flag concern is that it's not that he didn't play defense is he didn't even play special teams and not that everyone has to go play special teams and be great at it, but like he was replaced. And again, it's not like he was replaced by another veteran who just, you know, they've always had this safety playing really, really well. No, it was Raheem lane, an undrafted free agent safety who came in and, you know, Ficken's like, no, I don't, I don't want Spiller on the field or excuse me, woods, but yes, Spiller (laughs) as well. Um, So it's just, it was very, very concerning to see that. And this is kind of what we always worry about with the third round picks is it's always a high upside project sort of guy. And that's great if you have four years to wait for someone like Trey Pipkins or I guess three and a half. Um, JT Woods, I, I just think if, if he does not take that step forward this year, 
and it's clearly like we're not a whole lot further along than we were the previous year he's replaced in 2024 like you then you go probably draft someone really high or, or sign a veteran or something and I, it really wouldn't surprise me if he were already kind of replaced this year because i feel like relative to their expectations for him he's been pretty disappointing and i don't recall how long they've held on to third round picks previously but it's not like chris watt and craig mager were like there through their entire contracts as third round picks like those guys yeah once they realized that they just were not cutting it in the league they were cut and I think JT Woods, it really is, does come down to this season for him. Yeah, and I, I think that they're going to head into the season with Alohi Gilman as a starter. I think we can, I think that's a, a safe thing to say at this point. And and I think Alohi has earned that right. I think Alohi has earned the right to at least be a safety three and, and play significant snaps. But uh, JT's got to take a, a big leap forward this year. And uh, same with Isaiah Spiller. You know, both of these guys, I think. Obviously, Isaiah was drafted as the youngest player in his class. Um, you know, he plays running back, so it's not like he, you know, is a super premium pick or anything like that. But we see a ton of, you know, day two, day three running backs, you know, yeah. get cut like immediately. I mean, like the 49ers drafted Trey Sermon in the third <laughs> round, and he didn't yeah. even make it out of camp, man. Like he he yeah. got replaced by uh, Elijah Mitchell, and then this year they drafted another back who replaced him. So, um, I'm not as concerned about Isaiah Spiller as I am JT Woods, I think, because I do think that Isaiah Spiller at least showed some good flashes this year. And I think that he is closer to being like a, a yeah. quality backup player. The thing for him was that they didn't trust him on special teams. They didn't trust him yeah. as a pass protector, mm -hmm. which I can understand. I think Larry Roundtree being the choice to replace him was a little frustrating. <laughs> But I understand why they would go out and sign a Sony Michelle and say, hey, we trust this veteran sure. instead of Isaiah Spiller at that point. So I'm not as concerned about Isaiah Spiller, but definitely as JT Woods. But I am a little concerned about Isaiah's, you know, lack of development this year. And again, he didn't really have a great chance. Right. But it's like you're talking about not being able to beat out Larry Roundtree for your RB3 spot, mm -hmm. which I think is is definitely at least, you know, slightly concerning. Yes, Spiller not beating out Roundtree for that spot. And then, although I think this is partially due to injuries, but he couldn't get on the field as a blocker on special teams over Michael Bandy. I mean, they went out and they decided that Michael Bandy, who is, I think, lighter and potentially smaller than I am, was the guy that should block on special. <laughs> now, the kickoff return wasn't all that great, so maybe that wasn't a good decision. Yeah. But, I mean, they said that Michael Bandy was the guy they wanted out there over someone like Isaiah Spiller, who was inactive, so... Yeah, not great, but he's he's a case where you can wait. I do see good things. There was nothing I watched that was like, oh, he's a uh oh, like that's really concerning, right? Um, which is which is good. Like the two point three yards per carry is actually a bit of a surprise to me. I don't know if that was more situational or what, because my lasting memory of him was looking good in the preseason, but then he got hurt, and then he went to you know that against the Chiefs, you know he's putting guys in the dirt had a big 10 yard gain up the middle race dragon dudes i'm like okay great and then it was just larry roundtree the rest of the way <laughs> so i don't have any like reason to say this is a bad pick and it's a, again it's a fourth round pick so it's not as pressing um so i feel good about him moving forward but we gotta at least see you play some special teams yeah i think his ability as a receiver too should should make him a, a bit of a safer look but again very important offseason for him because you know there are people who want the Chargers to draft B. John Robinson. If you draft B. John Robinson, there's Isaiah Spiller is done. Like he's he's not on the Chargers at that point, basically. So you know this is this is you know if they pick another third round running back, fourth round running back, 
Isaiah's got to come into training camp and show that he can be a true impact player over that player. So mm-hmm. um, arguably the strength of this draft class is Otito, Jamari, and Jasir Taylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we, we'll talk about all three of them, but uh, Jasir Taylor, I heard recently, I shared this in the Discord, um, the Chargers are going to head into this season expecting Jasir Taylor to be the starting nickel in place of Bryce Callahan. They'll see where Bryce Callahan's market goes if he you mm-hmm. know, is unable to sign with the team and, and you know, he's still kind of waiting out there in June, July. I think they would bring him back, but I think they're going to head into this draft and this free agency cycle with Josh Taylor expected to seize that role. And I think, you know, he showed some really good things. I think if you watch that tape against the Dolphins, it was a really good game for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was also some up and down play, you know, against the Broncos. So I think this team is excited about Josh Taylor. And if he takes a big step forward, then you're talking about a much better class with Zion, Jamari, Jasir. And we'll see what happens with Otito's health. But, you know, Josh Taylor becoming a starter and a good one would be huge for this class. Yeah, that would be huge. I don't recall the last time a sixth round pick, I mean, outside of Jamari, but that was kind of out of necessity. But like, <laughs> I don't recall a sixth round pick for the Chargers developing, previously a special teamer, and then becoming a starter that quickly. So, hey, that's great. Like, the strength of this class really was that that sixth round. And of course, the first round was Zion. So, yeah, really happy about him. And I think that flexibility. I think he does look better at slot corner. I know they tried him outside. I think as a slot corner, he does look better. I think that works better. I think he's a better run defender there too. And if things don't work out, fine. You can then kind of pivot and find a role for Asante Samudin or someone else in the slot. I don't know how you make that work. But if for some reason things are really, really bad, I guess you could throw Asante Samudin in the slot, pull Jaw Taylor, and then find a way to have both Davis and JC on the field with ASJ. I am one thing I'm curious about, Jaw, this particular offseason is do they maybe kind of cross train him a little bit to take some snaps at safety mm. for when JC comes back? Because I think if they like him enough, you know, they'll find a spot for him. Yeah. Maybe he gets, you know, 10 snaps a game as as that third safety as opposed to that third corner and dime packages or something like that. And I think he does have that kind of flexibility and ability. So um, the team's excited about Josh Taylor, and I think that should be you know exciting for Chargers fans, especially because we've been talking about like how kind of underwhelming these draft classes has been. Yeah. But if you're able to go from just Zion and, and Jamari being quality starters to Zion, Jamari, and Josh Taylor being quality starters, makes mm-hmm. a huge difference. And you you know we'll see what happens with Otito's health, and then obviously if JT Woods or Isaiah Spiller can figure it out, then you feel a lot better about this class overall. Yeah, for what it's worth, Bryce Callahan had 58 box safety i guess snaps mm. and then one free safety snap last year so 59 snaps overall in the season so yeah i'm sure a couple of reps got to be out there as a safety too there you go and then uh dean leonard kind of feels like this class is nick neiman which is yeah. great like we didn't we totally. didn't know how dean was going to be at special teams and <laughs> you know he had a rough preseason with special teams but mm-hmm. man did he come on strong you know this season under ryan ficken's tutelage so you know, if all Dean Leonard is is a, a, a decent, you know, corner six and a really great gunner. Yeah. Uh, again, I think you take that for a seventh round pick and a guy who like literally spent part play. of his college career in Canada. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I, I think he I was worried he wouldn't even make the roster. He did. And yeah. he showed why he had a you know, why he was drafted, why he could have a role on the team. Again, if it's only as a special team member, I don't hate it, especially with Ficken. Yeah, and then Xander Xander's very curious. Uh, not a ton of fullback love with Kellen Moore's offense. It was a lot mm-hmm. more six offensive linemen, 
you know, tight end fullback reps, very similar to like a Steven Anderson. Like speaking of, I think Kelmore would love Steven Anderson. I don't know if he mm-hmm. wants to come back or not, but uh, just throwing that out there now. Um, so Xander as a fullback, I'm curious to see kind of what happens there because I feel like there is some rushing versatility there that they that Joe Lombardi did not tap into at all. Mm-hmm. But I think somebody like Kellen Moore could find a, a bit more of a role for Xander as a yeah. weapon as opposed to like just a traditional fullback. Yeah, I, I really want to go at some point. Why would I watch this? I don't know. I guess I'm bored. But I, <laughs> the Cowboys, you know, with, with Dak, I think Arjun said the last two or three years or whatever it was, their quarterback sneak conversion rate really wasn't that great. So I don't know why that was an issue. So if you need to back off a little bit, I don't know why it would be an issue with Justin Herbert. But if you want to find something for Xander Horvath, like there's some attempts there. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Horvath converted every fourth down rush that he had. I could be wrong. Or like short. I think he's missed like one or two in his career. Okay. Gotcha. It's a long career. <laughs> yeah, very long career. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. I think uh, the QB sneaks becoming a bit of a cheat code. And obviously the Eagles did that mm-hmm. better than anybody this year. Yeah. All right. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that conversation. It went uh, a little longer than I was expecting it. Um, Tyler, what's the most, what's the thing you're most excited about when talking about these players, these, these two classes, what's, what's kind of the thing you're focusing in on in the off season? Dude, Rashawn Slater moving in space with Zion moving in space with Corey Lindsay moving in space. Jamari Sawyer doesn't move all that much, but you know, <laughs> watching the guys drafted with those elite RAS scores, like, it's just yeah. different. You know, you're watching guys like Trent Williams, like they can just freaking move. And now you get Rashawn Slater back, who's a freak athlete. You know, Zion's an elite athlete. Like, I just can't wait to watch that be unlocked with this offense. I hope. Yeah, hopefully, you know, uh, again, Kellen Moore, I think, is going to do a lot of great things for this this offense and Doug Nussmeyer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a good one, man. I think this uh, this offensive line, if they bring back Trey Pipkins, can be a really quality group, you know, yep. assuming second year leaps from Zion and Jamari um you know health from Rashawn Slater I'm, I'm excited to see that unit come together maybe they go get a cheap veteran or two so mm-hmm. exciting times all right uh that's gonna do it for us today guys appreciate everybody for tuning in live um had some good conversations in the chat I saw so um we will be going live on Saturday for our tight ends ranking episode and then it's a uh, full steam ahead I think we're exactly a month away from free agency I think we're like two weeks away from the combine so uh, this is really where the offseason really starts to pick up. So, uh, Tyler, appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy with all the Ed TPA, so good luck with all of that. And then, as always, make sure and, uh, again, comment, like the video, subscribe, all that good stuff. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you guys on Saturday.